Good day and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, devoted exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I'm joined today by the wonderful, the venerable, the ever-wise, Covert Go Blue, co-host in crime. How are you doing today, my friend? I am going to live up to the label of venerable with an incredibly venerable performance in this particular episode because people of Earth magicians of this world we have a lot more new cards to look at and what could truly be better nothing nothing that's what i don't need you to answer i know i mean you're you're definitely the elephant jesus of this podcast kovac go blue so <laughs> so i'm i'm feeling honored to have you here discussing the new set with us and that's what we're going to be doing today is just continuing our deep dive into zendikar rising the set's looking pretty sweet, and we're going to continue our proud tradition of reading, you know, half the cards you never even thought anyone would ever want to talk about. Yeah, and then I'll either say, bless this card, you have done your ancestors proud, or have a why the hell are we doing this reaction? It <laughs> it's basically writes itself. It's content, baby. I, I'm down, man. If there's one thing I love, it's trolling you by reading draft cards on, <laughs> on this show. Mm. leaving you to wonder what my base motive is so okay Kovac Go Blue uh, anything to mention before we just freaking take the bull by the horns and continue through these spoilers here that Wednesday is the early access event sponsored ah, yes. by Wizards of the Coast and as far as I know we are both streaming that event am I right yes indeed so t we have 24 hour access to what you may call God accounts, where they give us all the cards from Zendikar Rising as well as the cards legal and standard. We get to use these cards for 24 hours. You can draft, you can do a little bit of sealed. I'll be playing 100% standard. I'm sorry, I'm sure Arjuna will dive into the limited format a little as well as standard. Absolutely. And that means we're going to have 24 bonus hours to educate our nonsense opinions before our next podcast where I'm sure we'll break down what's good in this format. Oh, baby. I can't wait. I've, I've already got it. Like, a no... This is one of the things I'm going to try, is a deck which has no lands in it other than flip lands. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Wednesday uh, on Twitch, guys. Wednesday, Wednesday on, on Twitch. Twitch. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to be exciting. And uh, check, you know, check both of our Twitter accounts or Discord accounts, etc., for scheduling on that. All right, my man. Well, let's dive in here. Now we're going to pick up with cards spoiled on September 3rd and later here. And the first card that I want to talk about, which I think that you may have some aspirations to play in a rogues deck, is Mindcarver. So why don't you read this card for us? Mindcarver is one black artifact equipment at uncommon. When Mindcarver enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus one plus oh. It gets plus three, plus one. As long as an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyards, equip is two and a black. So 
You get one free equip, then you have to pay three for it. It's just a little baby, plus one, plus oh, unless your opponent has eight of those cards in the graveyard. Then it's a much bigger boost, like a significantly large boost, especially for one mana of plus three, plus one. I'm guessing from your lead-in, you want me to play this in rogues. And the thing that I keep wondering when I read this card is whether or not rogues needs the finishing power. Does it need that extra punch? Or is this a deck that doesn't want to put its mana into getting a few more points of damage through in a flimsy way, making its creature vulnerable to its removal? Or is this a deck that wants to play tempo? Is this a deck that wants to deploy a few threats that are going to finish the opponent in a reasonable amount of time anyway and counter or stop the things the opponent's going to do? And normally when I think about, I, I guess if you're an aggro mage, like this card stands out to you, right? And I think about rogues as a tempo deck. I think about it as trying to compete with ramp and not let the opponent do busted Omnath nonsense. So for me, Mind Carver doesn't achieve what I'm trying to achieve, but cards like Essence Scatter and Negate might. So I think whether or not you play this depends on how that deck ends up lining up in the meta, because this is a serviceable card that's good enough for standard, but I don't know if it's good enough for what we're walking into. How about you? Yeah, I'm totally with you. And I agree, my read on the Rogues deck is also that it's trying to play more of a tempo game. I mean, I'll tell you what, man, it doesn't take that many hits from Brazen Borrower and Zareth Sun and whatever to get your opponent dead. So uh, totally with you there. I think it's possible we may see a more aggressive build of the deck. Same core cards but different game plan so it seems like you had a good idea while i was talking <laughs> no 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 i'm just i'm kind of i'm kind of switched on by this you're saying not only is there a demir rogues deck we could have multiple demir rogues in the same format i mean you builds. know by by the by the time all of the other sets you know in this in this particular standard rotation are spoiled i mean who knows man you know well the, the reason that's just so sweet is we've just spent like a year wondering if it's playable now we're talking about maybe it's multiplayer <laughs> maybe i love it it's, it's exciting. a growing archetype so yeah i just you know keep an eye out on this card it is certainly very powerful it is if you can turn it on it's better than the demon hog in every way so keep an eye on that card this next card i'm interested in as well don't know if it's going to be a player but it's it's cheap enough to consider cleansing wildfire one on a red sorcery destroy target land its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle their library, draw a card. So it's a very low cost to pay to blow up your opponent's land. Now, it's not worth it on its face. I don't think if your opponent's just playing kind of a normal selection of non-basic lands because it just doesn't really do that much for you. Uh, maybe if people stop running basics, then this card could get good, but that's probably not going to happen. So I think this is probably going to be a role player against particular lands that you might be worried about. But I don't know. Is this card standing out to you in any way? You can target your own land and double trigger landfall for basically two mana and draw a card okay. in red. That's pretty which, dope. That, I mean, there are, you can come up with weird scenarios for it. I'm not convinced it's part of a successful strategy because it's not having that big of a board presence and probably not doing much permanent. Um, I think that there's an there's going to be such a tension in building mana bases. If you've sat down and tried to make a deck with what's been released, 
you already know that figuring out how many lands to play and how many spell lands to play and how to get the basics in there and if you're playing Fabled Passage, uh, these things are serious tensions. And if at any point the quote-unquote best deck in the format gets to a place where like it's an Omnath deck with one basic planes in it, I mean, ooh, ooh. <laughs> there, this thing. is an option, yeah. but that's yeah. what it is. It's kind of this weird option waiting for the right mix of conditions to strike. I think another card that you have to mention when you mention Cleansing Wildfire is Confounding Conundrum. There are people who are going to try to make that work. But remember, this is a sorcery. So you have to cast it on your turn. So it shouldn't trigger Confounding Conundrum unless they did something weird with a Fabled Passage or you have a Field of Ruin or you have two of these. So just something to think about. Yeah. For me, the thing that stood out to me was the casting cost and the cantrip nature of it. So when you have a card that's cheap enough that cantrips, that has arguably a pretty powerful effect, it's just worth keeping an eye on. So I wouldn't be surprised if this shows up at some point in the standard format. And I think for other, you know, for other formats, this is probably going to be a role player in Historic and maybe go even further back depending on what lands are playable. So I'm I'm kind of excited about this card. I don't know why. It's one of those cards that just has possibility for me. All right, let's talk about a jank card, which, eh, who knows? Maybe you'll lose this card at some point. Read for us Angel of Destiny, CGB. Angel of Destiny is three white, white, angel cleric at mythic rare, a two six body with flying and double strike. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you and that player each gain that much life. At the, beginning life of, at the beginning of your end step, if you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, each player, Angel of Destiny, attacked this turn, loses the game. <laughs> CGB, this is the ultimate finisher you've been waiting for in your sweet white life gain deck. I think Arjuna's mission is to get me to quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, come on. Uh, this this card is... It's close. Uh... And I honestly want to give it up for Wizards. They somehow continue to trap players into these strategies. And it's because they dangle beautiful carrots. You know, if you're going to get the, if after like years and years of doing basically the same thing, if you're going to get players to keep chasing the carrot, it has to be a luscious carrot. And this is, this is the most luscious carrot I think I've ever seen for the lifelink players because the reason. The reason it's not going to make it is because it only triggers after it attacks, right? So you have to somehow get yourself up to 15 life more than your starting life total and give this thing haste, and then it can win the turn you play it if it survives the attack, of course, and you have enough life. Like, there's there's just too many moving pieces. So most of the time, this is going to be five mana play it, and then the opponent either removes it or they figure out how to do other things on the board. Whatever they do, they'll, they'll find a way to stop, like get your life total low enough. They'll find a way to stop the thing most of the time. But the line, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you and that player each gain that much life, is so... It's all in on this new strategy because you give your opponent a ton of life. But it's also really cool 
because it's lifelink, but it's not lifelink, which means your creatures that have lifelink have, still have oh, lifelink and life this link. ability. That's, yes. that's kind of interesting. Yes, double lifelink. And it's, it's freaking sweet. In every way, it is sweet. And in every way, it is obnoxious because most of us would win more games of magic if we uncrafted this card. But we can't <laughs> not try because it's exciting and fun. Okay, so here's a couple of things I'm thinking about, okay? Eovol, do you think that this is a better finisher against, let's say you're playing a white life gain deck, which you wouldn't be but let's say that you were would this be a better kind of sideboard finisher against mono red than baneslayer angel no okay i'm looking at that six toughness right and that's kind of something i mean it does have six toughness i is that something where where does that matter what's stealing i guess maybe the difference between five and six isn't really relevant here but that's a lot of tough wait oh i know you're still out here soul searing everything i understand (laughs) yes we found it we found it (laughs) they they will have to spend at least two spells to kill it so that's something there's also like this idea that if you decide to race to the top instead of to the bottom, and if the opponent hasn't damaged you, this is kind of like a lava axe mm. because you only have to get to 35, so it's like you have to gain 15 instead of dealing 20. Yeah. The problem is that if it doesn't work, you gave your like you basically yeah. spent some attacks disaster. doing nothing because your opponent gains life. Yeah, yeah that's a disaster. Um, Here's the other thing I was thinking about. All right, maybe this is just flagrantly stupid. But um, against a control deck that's not pressuring your life total at all, this could threaten to be just like a top deck win the game on the spot if, if my control opponent can't deal with it card. So I know, you know, five mana creatures don't tend to play that well against control, but it does make me wonder if that's an edge case. If your control deck lets you play a five mana creature at that point in the game and then does nothing about it they were going to lose to they were going to yeah i guess it's basically a questing beast at that point so yeah okay well so probably just don't play this card then but it sure is sweet and again another card i'm going to be annoyed to lose to on the ladder a card which i anticipate losing to more on the ladder but which i don't know if it's playable or not zagras thief of heartbeats so this is a four black red for a four four legendary creature vampire rogue at rare it costs one less to cast for each creature in your party, has flying, death touch, and haste. Other creatures you control have death touch, and whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. So, I don't know, man. This card doesn't seem standard playable to me. However, it's got some compelling text on it, so the cost reduction is dece. Uh, a 4-4 flying haster is pretty good so if you can get any amount of cost reduction on this you can think about it giving your other creatures death touch yeah that could that could be relevant the whole like combat damage to a planeswalker thing i feel like it's not going to come up that often i mean if you have a 4-4 flying hasty you're probably killing your opponent's planeswalker anyway so i'm mostly down on this card but can you see a shell that might consider running it i am down on this card but there's a few things to look at and it's kind of an interesting puzzle of evaluation so let me throw to you like how much would you have to pay for this to be like to to think it was really worth it six i would agree is a no would you agree yep so how about five if you pay five for this you have kind of a 
Skargan Hellkite, which didn't really make it last standard. What do you think? Yeah, five isn't good enough. Okay. It's, it's better, but four is where I start to be like, Ooh. if this card always cost four, I would definitely consider it. I mean, you know, we played cards like the Spectacle Demon, and uh, that's kind of basically this card at four mana. So yeah, I'd run it at four. I'd say this card is a lot better than that. It's at four mana. It just gets in there like yeah. right away. It's a big deal. Yeah. So to get it to four, we need two party members. So the next mental gymnastic for evaluation on this card is like, can we make it even better than playable at that cost? And the way that you do that is, are there any party members that are significantly better with death touch? because it gives other creatures you control death touch. That's so true. do we have anybody to throw it? And I don't know the answer. Like I haven't actually dug through everything with party on it to figure this out, but is there something in party with, you know, obviously first strike and death touch is good. Trample and death touch are good. A pinger with death touch is amazing, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. We do have that that two mana creature with trample that gets Mm -hmm. bigger when it attacks for each party member so these two could be friends for sure we also have the goblin that when it dies does damage equal to its power oh the awesome warrior yeah 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 okay so like this is the not the arsonist the arsonist is a i think it's a shaman but there's a new one okay there's a new one maybe we'll come across it on here but yeah, that's the exercise I need to go through with this card. My When I read this card, my instincts were not quite good enough to reliant on other things. And But it's, it's interesting to keep evaluating and to keep in mind that if you find party members that get significantly benefited from Death Touch, this card goes from ju- not just good, it might be great. So keep an eye out. Yeah, and I mean, okay, Glorybringer was a better card than this card, but... There were plenty of times where Glorybringer was just good enough as a 4-4 haste flyer for 5. So in the right shell and wanting to do the right things, Zagreus could be a house. And one of the things I'm keeping my eye out in this set is that it just seems like we have a critical mass of like 4-4 hasty or pseudo hasty flyers happening. So I'm just curious if any of them are going to get there. Here's a card which I'm totally excited to play in my mono green deck so read for us inscription of abundance cgb (laughs) inscription of abundance is one in a green instant kicker two green choose one if this spell was kicked choose any number instead put two plus one plus one counters on target creature target player gains x life where x is the greatest power among creatures they control and target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. I mean, that's plenty of text, my friend. I feel like if you're playing a green aggressive deck, might not go in everyone, but I feel like there's enough happening here to make you interested in playing this card. Okay, where it's kind of an overrate price where you could get more out of other cards if you're using it for two mana. So I'm guessing that what you like is the kicker and the ability to do it all. So that's five mana. So you must be thinking of a matchup where you both have creatures, because this wouldn't make much sense against like control for that price. Agreed. And you're looking for like an epic blowout with this, with five open mana, probably in a combat that you initiate. It just seems like too much to me. I buy that. So there's a few cases that I like about this card. For example, 
This card's pretty good against Bone Crusher Giant. It's not a blowout, but you can basically blank them casting that card on your creature. So I, I definitely think in like the mono green versus the mono red matchup is where this card really shines because all three modes are going to be quite relevant. I agree that any one of these options isn't worth the two mana, but having access to them all is really nice. And definitely when you get to cast this for five mana in basically any matchup except control, you're definitely getting your money's worth. So that's, that's what I look for on a modal card. I probably wouldn't start this in my mono green aggro decks unless the meta was looking a certain way. But uh, in best of one, I might. I might run one or two copies of this. And yeah, I just, I think it's quite versatile. If Especially if your deck runs a critical mass of Lovestruck Beast, Yavos, Questing Beast, right? Those are all cards that really, really benefit from having a cheap instant speed fight effect, which is basically just going to be rammed through most of the time. So I think that's the, the flaw on this card is kind of being a ram through. It's a little worse because uh, it's a fight. But that's that's what makes this card interesting to me. The rest of it just looks like gravy. Okay. Is it weird that the main reason I think I don't like this card very much is because the the troll is no longer in standard? The two mana three three that with the ability to gain hexproof with a counter. Like if you could play that card and then just hold up this card, I feel like you're ahead on every access, but I don't see that play pattern anymore. I agree. That is a huge loss for the deck. And it's possible that I'm evaluating this card based on a deck which no longer exists. So you could be totally right about that. I agree that it's it's not as good, but I still think that with cards, I mean, Lovestruck Beast and this are just good friends, I think. So um, sure. yeah, I'm still in for it. Maybe it doesn't All get right. that, but I'm still in for it. Green Mage Arjuna in for it. <laughs> in for it. Okay, this card has created a vast amount of flavor controversy for all of the flavor snobs out there. <laughs> um, let's talk about Feed the Swarm. One on a black sorcery at common. Destroy target creature or enchantment an opponent controls. You lose life equal to that permanence converted mana cost. Is this blasphemy, Covert Go Blue? No. I don't think so either. Yeah, it's like, come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> really? How many years have I... Sp okay, this, this, the reason that this is blasphemy is what you have to do is you have to go back in time. And I'm going to go way back to the days of a very, very wee CGB having a birthday party with his best friends in some rented, uh, like, it was like a community center for a resort area that nobody was at. So it's like a room with a pool table and two arcade machines and a table. And we just played magic all night. Like that was my birthday party. And great. <laughs> the reason we played all night is because me and one of my friends play mono black. And the other friend who is there plays mono white with four circle of protection blacks uh, in the brutal. deck. <laughs> and my mono black deck had no way to remove this card. My friend's mono black deck had a Niven Rolls disc, which blows up all per all card all permanents. So we were just waiting for him to draw it. That game took like 19 hours. People saying that black just shouldn't have access to this type of effect, clearly we're not the mono black player in that situation. Let's face it, magic is better if we can figure out how to balance threats and answers so that 
a entire color or deck type isn't completely disqualified by the existence of another card. Now, uh, does this mean that mono black control is going to be playable again? Not necessarily, but at least it can't owe its lack of existence to a way to get rid of an enchantment, which at times has been the case, especially in casual circles, because not everything is about top ladder meta. Now, what Feed the Swarm will actually do is probably nothing in standard, because it's too much of a tempo loss to use it, and maybe someday there will be an enchantment important enough to re remove. The best application I see for this card right now is killing Leyline of the Void and Rest in Peace in Historic, so that the graveyard-based black decks aren't ice cold. Yeah, this will be an important player in Historic for sure. And and maybe even older formats. I don't know what the card pool looks like in those bigger formats, but I have to imagine that this is kind of a standout because people are losing their freaking minds over it. So I have to imagine that an effect like this just basically hasn't existed yet in Magic. Yeah, I, I think this card's great. I mean, I'm definitely not a fan of just dissolving the color pie altogether. But I think that they've managed to maintain the black flavor on this with life loss, and it's a sorcery, and so in many ways it really is just a, a below rate, a disenchant effect. Like, on every metric, it's below rate. So you do pay a cost for it, which is what black's all about, so I think it's fine. If this card were, like, counter-target spell, you lose life equal to its converted mana cost, I'd be more TO'd <laughs> about it. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think Black's gotten there yet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, cool. I'm a fan. So CGB, you thought, and I was with you, that we were going to see some more creature lands. And as far as I can tell, this might be the only one that they've printed in the set. However, I think that this one's pretty compelling. So go ahead and read for us Crawling Barons. Crawling Barons is a land at rare that taps for a colorless mana. Or you may spend four in a colorless to put two plus one plus one counters on Crawling Barons. Then you may have it become a zero zero elemental creature until end of turn. It's still a land. And just to try to clarify it, that's an open ended four. So you yes. can do it. Is You don't have to tap the Barons to do it. In fact, you can tap the Barons to create the mana to pay the four. So what do we think of Crawling Barons, the... As far as I can tell, only creature land in Zendikar Rising. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this card for a number of reasons. So when I first read it, I was like, that's terrible. You get a 2-2 creature land. Yay, you spent four mana to do that. The thing is, it's counters. So you you can... Okay, I'm thinking about scenarios like maybe you can't fit a colorless land into your control deck. But if you can, you just you you're leaving mana up for your you know counter spell or your shark typhoon or whatever it is, and if you decide that you don't want to use either of those things or if you don't have a use for them, you can just dump your mana into this and grow it. And this can be a totally acceptable finisher in a control deck if your opponent doesn't have land destruction, they basically can't deal with it. And you could easily get to a point in the game where this thing is just swinging for like 6 or 8 damage and it just ends the game very, very quickly. I could even see this being a role player in mono-colored aggressive decks that have space for colorless land in their mana base. And so the first attack isn't going to be super impressive, but the second and third attacks could just be game ending with this thing. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Are you on board with me on that? 
Yeah, I am. Uh, the line that's interesting is that you may have it become a zero zero elemental creature until end of turn. So you can activate this and put counters on it without exposing it to removal and yeah. just wait until the opponent's shields are down and then strike them, which I think is pretty important. It's also going to be important in this format, most likely just to have a place to dump mana. If you make extra Omnath mana and have nothing to do with it, you can always throw it into a Crawling Barons. Yeah. So I think we'll see this card lurking, creeping about. Yeah. Also, just random side case, you can fetch this with a Fae of Wishes. So, yeah. It, in those <laughs> in those scenarios where you want more mana and you want a threat, <laughs> I don't know. I just I think this card's cool. I think it's sweet. I think it's going to see play. But it's not a mountain. It's, I mean, not, it's not a mountain, so you bring <laughs> up for a those good of us point. who fetch fetch mountains <laughs> with our Fae of Wishes. I don't know if this replaces the shock and awe value of the mountain. All right, I'm off it. This card sucks. <laughs> Go ahead and read for us CGB Valicate Exploration. This is a freaking novel. Okay. Valicate Exploration is two and red enchantment at rare with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of your library. You may put th- play that card for as long as it remains exiled. At the beginning of your end step, if there are cards exiled with Valicate Exploration, put them into their owner's graveyard. Then Valakut Exploration deals that much damage to each opponent. I do not know why that was such a mouthful for me. So tell me something about this card while I try to get my tongue in card. I think not only is this card a mouthful, but it's a thoughtful. There's a lot of text on this card. It kind of seems irrelevant to me. Some kind of jank build around, perhaps. This is one of those cards which looks unplayable, but someone might put it in the right shell and just have like a game-ending combo with it. For example, there's another card that we'll probably talk about today. I think it's Nahiri's Lithoforming or something, which lets you sack lands to draw a bunch of cards and play more lands. And so combining that with this could be like nugging your opponent for six damage a turn or something and it could kind of <laughs> give you be some better way weird going off combo so anyway i'm not saying that's gonna happen but that's the kind of combo you're gonna need to look out for to have a card like valakut exploration be playable combo escape shift eh eh eh, eh. <laughs> i am stuck on the fail like my brain gets stuck just snagged on the fail case where you play this and then you don't draw a land yeah. So it does actual it nothing. It does nothing. Because if you exile land with it, you can in theory play that land, but you've already played a land that turn, so no, you can't. And it just gets exiled on end step. They don't stay under the exploration. What interests me about the card, and this is where the brewers get to go absolutely crazy, is they get to go get their Dryad of Elysian Grove and their Asusa Lost But Seeking, and they built their own Bolus' Citadel, but it's only three mana. Mm. But it only works if you have those cards. Mm-hmm. So in that, that part's unique to me uh, anyway. What do you think? Yeah, it's just, like I said, it's basically a combo card and not a particularly potent one from the outset. So basically don't play this unless you've assembled some kind of, I don't know, song of creation level of <laughs> kind of one-turn kill, go off, deal your opponent a bunch of damage kind of a thing. Who knows whether there's support for that, but that's what you need to be doing 
to play a card like this. How about Yashan Implacable Earth? Two green white legendary creature elemental boar at rare. It is a 4-4. When Yashan enters the battlefield, search a library for a basic forest card and a basic plains card. Reveal those cards, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. Players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. This is an interesting card. So it gives you some card advantage. It draws you two basic lands when you play it which is not terrible. It hoses the cat decks, which no longer exist. It makes me wonder if this is like a sideboard answer to a deck that no longer exists. It's just a weird card, CGB. My impetus is where do you play this card and why, but like, are you seeing any possibilities? Like a two mana two two with this ability as a sideboard card. A four mana four four has to fit into your strategy in some yeah. way, you know what I mean? Um, I think that the the ability of can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanence to cast spells or activate abilities, that's interesting. And I think it's the part people are hung up with for this card to be good. I think if your deck has space for a card that you play that fetches two lands and makes a 4-4 body, that's not terrible. And then the extra ability might have some kind of significant impact on the meta but keep in mind it cuts both ways like you can't do it either so watch out in case you put this into a deck where that would get you could this card be like uh like an azusa enabler could this card be a card that you play on the way to both keeping you alive maybe trading with your opponent's questing beast and then filling your hand with more lands is there any potential that we see that maybe even out of the sideboard perhaps so I'm not willing to call it an Azusa enabler, but I think we can keep it a little more basic than that because we are in a set where it's landfall, right? And this gets you lands. So from a starter, just making sure that you have some lands to play is not like that's not bad. And this might be a this might be a good space holder for those decks. Another option at colorless in the same mana spot is Solemn Simulacrum, but that card just gets shocked and the opponent attacks you like it's such a tiny body this does not get shocked so i wouldn't be surprised to see this card played in as a one of or two of in mid-range to late game decks that do want to survive i think uh what do we call that the bridge cards some people use that term the deck i want to put this in most is the omnath deck and I don't know if we have space for more four-cost creatures, but I mean, I don't know, man. I This is one of those cards where we might dismiss it, and then later on in the format, we might be like, a four-mana four-four that draws you two lands? Why did we ever think that was a bad card? So, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'm keeping my eye on it. I think it's a good card. I think the question is, like, at four-mana, can you afford another setup card? And that's a question of the format. Yeah. But the, the situation I like it in most is trade with a questing beast, keep fueling my landfall triggers. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I like that too. All right, CGB, read for us this particular spicy book, because this, this is another card that's generated a lot of controversy. Stee, Seagate Stormcaller. Seagate Stormcaller is one in a blue for a human wizard. A mythic rare. It is a 2-1. It has kicker of four and a blue we'll get to what that does when 
Seagate Stormcaller enters the battlefield. Copy the next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost two or less that you cast this turn when you cast it. If Seagate Stormcaller was kicked, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new targets for the copies. Okay, so what are we copying with Seagate Stormcaller in standard that makes this card worthy of space in your deck yeah okay so the first thing i want to say is for the most part let's just pretend that kicker isn't there because that's not why you play this spell i don't think i think that you play this spell because you have two or less cmc instance or sorceries in your deck that you can benefit from copying so that's really the question what what am i running in my deck that i can copy on turn three or turn four with Seagate Stormcaller, it's going to make it worth playing. So, I came up with a little list here, and I'm curious to get your take on this. For starters, is Opt good enough? Turn three, play this, double Opt. That sounds pretty good. It sounds good. What did I mean? Is your opponent just kind of chilling, <laughs> flailing while you do that? around? I mean, yeah. Can you take you? Let's be clear. You're mostly taking the turn off. You made a two-one body. It may or may not be relevant by turn four. And you did some scry and draw. It's good if your life doesn't depend on it, right? Yeah. Okay, so how about this? In a non-clover deck, just playing this on turn four and doing double Brazen Borrower. Sounds pretty good. That's pretty solid. Yeah. How about Heartless Act? Could be. Depends how many people are running your green charm and countering Heartless Act with it. Uh, And also Eliminate as well. Eliminate kind of fills the same role. So I think if you can play this on turn four and kill two of your opponent's creatures, I'm going to say that's good enough. Okay, here's some more interesting, interesting applications. Now, this, this one I like, CGB. How about Angelic Ascension? Are you targeting your own creature or the opponent? Your own creature, okay? So okay. You, you played you played any creature, other creature, like even a token, some dorky thing, right, in the first three turns. And then on turn four, you play Seagate Stormcaller, you Angelic Ascension the, the Seagate Stormcaller, and then you Angelic Ascension your other creature. And on turn four, you have two angels. That's got to be compelling, my man. But what if your opponent plays Petty Theft and Seagate Stormcaller the uh, next turn. Oh, baby. Blowout. Blowout. Okay, okay. But that's, okay. that's kind of a, that's a ceiling scenario, but you got to admit, that sounds pretty spicy. As long as you're willing to part with the original thing, I and maybe somehow you got value out of it, I could see it, you know? Uh, okay, sure, keep going. Can I interest you in, in Revitalize, Draw 2, Gain 6 Life? No. Okay. I mean, you can do it, but why would you? How about this? Unsummon, all right? On turn three, you play a Stormcaller, you cast Unsummon, you Unsummon your opponent's thing, and you Unsummon your Seagate Stormcaller, so you can play it again the next turn and double something else. If you play Baron, you get to do this and keep a 2-2. There you go. Why not? No, no, no. I mean instead. <laughs> oh, instead. I see. <laughs> I'm like, let's play so them you, both, baby. No, you, you, you designed a below a below rate Baron is what you just did. Does this work the way I want it to? See the truth? No, it doesn't. Oh, really? Um, because That's it copied. Yeah, That's it doesn't work the way right, I want that, it to. That was that was going to be my big payoff. What you have to do is somehow cast this and then cast the See the Truth from the graveyard or somewhere else and then copy it. Okay. 
Got and it. then you'll get the draw three, draw three. Yeah, but that's just Christmas land. Okay, how about village rights? You just made a body to sack. Draw four cards? Probably one of the best ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Drawing four cards for three mana sounds pretty nice. One of the bodies is provided. The other has to be there. Probably one do of the you, better do things. Do you not get the double up? Do you have to sack another thing as well? Yes, you have to okay. sacrifice another thing, I believe. Hold on. As part of the cost. No, maybe you don't. That's what I'm thinking, Maybe right? that is just straight three mana draw four. Yeah, so that's that's pretty good. So we have to build a blue-black deck that also has a lot of sacrifice fodder. It's not insane. It's a little, un, a little unconventional, but it's possible. Yeah. All right, just, just a couple other ideas here. Claim the firstborn. Steal two things, still have to do something with them. Mm-hmm. How about... I, I'm not convinced there. <laughs> okay. Infuriate? Just freaking dome your opponent. <laughs> uh, you played a Sprite Dragon, then you That's played an saying. Infuriate. Turn two, Sprite Dragon, turn three, freaking destroy him. <laughs> if by destroy him you mean hit for nine, Okay. I, it's it, you did it you could also have played a second infuriate in your deck or another pump spell right i i don't know okay how about, don't know about that don't know about that one either <laughs> the setup is a i think you're i think it's a bit of a setup in the blue black thing now i'm thinking like well i mean you could double agonizing remorse but that's on turn four so if yeah. it's a ramp deck that's setting up omnath into something you could take both pieces. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are like, those are some of the stronger things, some of the stronger spells. That's what I'm thinking. Like, blue, blue, black has some pretty strong scenarios. I just, the fail state, though, is that you cast a two mana two one and you have nothing to play. It's so, really sad. Like, yeah. it's really sad, dude. Yeah, I, it's sad, but it's not awful. If it had flash and was legit closer to a snapcaster mage, it yeah. would be a lot better because you could leave mana open. You yeah, know? this, you this can make is a no decision. snapcaster for sure. No, but I just think I don't know. I think between standard and historic, we're gonna find uses for this card. The fact that it's a wizard is compelling. It's a relevant type. It's also a human that could end up being a relevant type. So all all I'm gonna say is that before you write this card off, just think about the scenarios and. I don't know. It's a party member. I just, I think that this card could actually do some pretty cool stuff. I have thought about the scenarios. May I write it off now? Okay. You may. <laughs> you, you may write just, it off. Just to be clear where I stand. But uh, you you are still, I think, uh, seeking. And sometimes you find stuff, you know? It's, it's, we've got another... Th this, this card, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, it's the new Stormwing Entity. He won't forget. I'm going to tell him it's bad, and he will not forget. And one person will top eight or win a tournament with a Stormwing entity, and I will hear about it for months. And, and that's what Seagate Stormcaller is. To be fair, I did win that bet. So, <laughs> All right, here's a card that I might be lower on than you are. Archon of Ameria. Two and a white. 2-3 creature Archon at rare with flying. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn. Non-basic lands your opponent's control, enter the battlefield tapped. I'm not into this card, are you? Why Why aren't you into this card? I just don't think it does enough. Just doesn't do enough? Nope. You're, so you're, each player, like, like you've basically locked them out of using their Seagate Stormcaller, and you don't think it does enough? I don't. 
Like what? Okay. Like what? What deck wants to play this? I I mean, a deck that wants its opponent's non-basic lands to enter the battlefield tapped. That's that's what deck. There's so many of those now. Does does your control deck run this? <laughs> okay, I I can't keep it up. I I, you, I I can't possibly be low. Like I, you can't be lower than I am on this card. I'm okay. never playing okay, this card. Good. I, I, I set you up, but I think I think that what we both are saying is that we're not going to play this card. Nope, three mana, no haste, stats are medium. Just I, the the days of the hate bears are you know that's that's like true paper boomer nonsense, man. Yeah. I'm gonna put a creature on the battlefield, and then my opponent won't be able to do something. Like yeah. this, this is dead. It's so dead. So one of the reasons that people in the past have chosen to bring out um, wh- what's the enchantment version of this card for one mana? Rule no, uh, deafening silence. Deafening silence. Mm-hmm. So the reason that people have brought that in from the board in certain matchups is because a of all it's cheap and b of all it's an enchantment, so it's hard to hit. And this card has neither of those benefits running for it. So the fact that you get a 2-3 flyer and it also has this non-basic thing, this non-basic clause, I don't think makes up for it. Now, one of the reasons this card is a lot worse than the card I want to compare it to, which is the 3-mana Thalia, was that Guardian of Thraben? Or Heretic Cathar? I think it was Heretic Cathar. It was just the Thalia of Shadows over Innistrad. Yeah, exactly. So that card was... A lot better than this card, in my opinion. That card was a 3-2 first strike. It had the non-basic land clause, but it also had the your opponent's creatures enter the battlefield tapped clause. And so it was basically a total ball buster in creature mirror matches. And um, that card was really good. I mean, maybe not like one of the most powerful cards in the format, but it saw plenty of play and was definitely important in certain matchups. And I just don't think that this card is that. You're right. Cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's move on. Would you like to put that on the soundboard? You can, like, if I take a week off, you can just <laughs> yes, slam that one. I got one. I got one from CGB. Okay. So I'm going to continue my commitment to read every single DFC in this set. Actually, but I'm going to have you read this one, CGB. Song Mad Treachery. <laughs> so, so not fair. All right. So, um, I, didn't ag- I didn't sign up. Whatever. <laughs> Song Mad Treachery, three red, red sorcery. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature. It gains haste until end of turn. And the backside is a tapped red land. I'm putting this one in the like unplayable category i i don't know are you with me have you heard what the current most viewed and consistent number one mythic twitch streamer croaky said about this card what did he say about this card i can't really repeat it on this podcast and 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 and, and keep our image okay clean. it's not let's this just is a say family he, podcast let's just say he gets really excited and uh he just wants to explode with joy all over everything when he when he read this card okay so he's a buyer it's his favorite card of all time he said wow all right i mean number one ladder achiever multiple times crokies huge buyer on this card the the thing is the problem with like steal your stuff effects 
is what if you don't have the sacrifice, right? What if you can't pay it off? And the other th problem with steel effects, like they printed at one mana, claim the firstborn, unbelievably good. Like a four of in historic and standard decks consistently for almost a year now, which is crazy to think about. So it's not that the effect isn't good. It's like it's situational. And will you have the right pieces at the right time? This gives you an option. You know, you can hit your land drop or you can set up a song mad treachery and it doesn't have the restriction of a claim the firstborn. You can reach out, steal a Gargaroth and throw it in an oven. Like if you're still playing oven. So I, I can see it like, but I'm not absolutely convinced. I'm, I'm in the middle. And I do think this will see play. For example, if you are running a deck with Woe Strider and Village Rights, if one of those decks is still good, there's a good version right now, if it remains good, I don't see a reason not to run two instead of a 25th and 26th land, you know? Hit your land drops and have an out to a giant creature that the decks, you just get to play it for free. The decks didn't have that before. So I'm, I think this one will get played and I think it will be a significant amount. I've, I've gone back and forth and looking at this card about whether I thought it was going to be playable or not. So half the time I'm like, ah, that's terrible. And the other half of the time I'm like, no, we're going to get got by this card and it's going to be pretty good. Um, I do agree that these, these kind of situational cards, like in, in the right circumstance, this can be the best card in your deck. It can be the best top deck. Just like you said, you steal your opponent's Gargaroth, you swing for lethal, you feel amazing about it. Those Jundi kind of decks, I think, don't care too much about having a tap land in the early games. It's not ideal, but it's not like they're trying to get you dead on turn four. So um, yeah, Song Mad Treachery, I'm kind of open to it. I think the real question is, have you heard Riley Knight's maddening <laughs> song that you wrote about this card? No. Are we? Is that a thing we can just do on a podcast? Do, do yourself a favor and don't <laughs> listen to it, all right? Oh, okay. <laughs> I guarantee Good. you'll be happier for not having done that. Roiling Regrowth. Two and a green instant uncommon. Sacrifice a land, search a library for up to two basic lands, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Surely we're going to be able to find things to do with this card in this set, am I right? Yeah, it's it gives you the potential to play three lands in a turn in a format where we where I still believe Omneth is the best card and the best thing to be doing. Yeah. So I, this will see some play, or at least experimentation, and it's an uncommon, so it's an easy craft. I it might be there might be a red green aggressive landfall deck because like there's a few cards that could be like gain an additional six power when you play this spell which is kind of insane if you have like the hellhound and whatever the red green elemental is they each get plus two plus two with landfall like that's a heck of a curve dude yeah that's attacking for 12 on turn three yeah not to mention lotus cobra basically yeah. makes this a free spell yeah, th this card has applications, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. Also great with Uro, because you fill your graveyard a bit. You do have to keep playing basics, which that's going to be... It's going to be very interesting to see how many basics these decks can play or want to play with all the sweet lands they can also play. So, Roiling Regrowth will see some action. 
can you think of anything I haven't mentioned where it, where it will be a hit? I think that you hit the main points. I actually think that Rolling Regrowth is going to have the joy of this card is going to be all of the edge cases, and there's going to be a lot of them. You, there's just going to be random board states in which your opponent's going to play this, and you're going to be like, great, that just totally pushed this over the edge. Like Nissa, Nissa of the Shadowed Bows, she's going to huh. love this card, man. That's three loyalty in one turn. That's and a ramp. And a ramp. I mean, yep. It's it's going to get bazonkers, man. There's just going to be some stupid stuff happening with this card. So, I don't know. I think however good people think this card is, I think it's going to be better than that. And okay. This could Okay. I don't think this is necessarily going to happen, but the ceiling on this card is that it could end up being like a um like a growth spiral level of busted card in the format if things break the right way. That is that is an insanely hot take. It's that's a hot take. <laughs> growth spiral level, bannable level, interesting. I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but I don't think that it's ridiculous to think that Roiling Growth Regrowth could end up getting banned at some point. You heard it here. Arjuna says Roiling Regrowth is the next growth spiral and will be banned. You heard it. That's what I heard. Check here in six months. <laughs> All right. Um, here's another card which people are definitely going to be looking at. Vastwood Surge. Read this one for us, CGB. Three, green, kicker, four. Search your library for up to two basic land cards. Put them onto the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. If this spell was kicked, put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. I just want to take a quick second and say that the experience so far today recording this podcast has been, oh, here's all the commons and uncommons of other colors. Skip, 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 skip. Oh, here's the green uncommons. We have to read them because they're all broken as hell in a landfall format. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> basically what's going on here. It's disgusting. <laughs> if, if you guys were sick of green, get over it. Like We have at least another year, probably two years of this, guaranteed by this set alone. Yeah. Here's, here's what I'm curious about. We already have one of these in the format, which is a cycler. Is this one better? Like, is it better to have the kicker to with the counters, or is it better to have the option to cycle it? I think the option to cycle it from migration path yeah. is significantly better than this in nearly all situations, but not better than this in one crucial situation. And that situation is a card that we're going to read later. A certain 5-5, 6-mana elemental. The Plant Maker? Is that what we're talking about? The Plant Maker. Yeah, baby. I got my eye on that card, too. (laughs) And there is another another plant, the 3-mana. Like, when you hit 6-mana, it starts making copies of itself. Oh, yeah. And this gets you from 4 to 6, and then at 8 puts counters on those 1-1s. So there's at least... There are decks that Vastwood Surge is better than Migration Path in. It was a worthy one to read. I yep. agree with it. And just note in general that landfally, land droppy aggressive decks in general are gonna be a possibility in this format. And this could be a finisher in those decks. Cause you have to imagine, think about a turn in which you already have a board state and some of your creatures are landfall creatures that get better with landfall. And then you, I mean, in the dream scenario, you play a land for turn, you get 
couple of landfall triggers. You you play this with kicker, you get two additional landfall triggers and your whole team gets the buff. And so this could definitely be like a stand-in for your end raise forerunners kind of a card in that deck. I'm not saying it's as good as end raise forerunners, but it could have a similar effect on the final turn of the game. We have another uncommon DFC right here. McKindy Stampede. Read this one for us, CDB. I'm I'm considering protesting. I'm I'm considering refusing to read these. You're gonna have to read these. No, I <laughs> McKinney Stampede is McKinney Stampede is a three white white sorcery. Creatures you control get plus two plus two until end of turn or the other side, a tapped white source. Yeah. I don't know. This strikes me as one of the weaker ones. Yeah. It's weak. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. I don't know. If there's some kind of like really good white go wide deck, then maybe, but nah, I'm kind of not feeling it. Uh, just, I want to comment on the double face cards. I Now that we've seen the whole set, there are definitely enough of these that you're going to have to pick and choose what to play, and it's actually going to be very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like we have enough good ones that you don't need to kind of mess around with the bad ones. Yeah. And this is one of the worst. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah. Okay. This next card I was going to skip over, but actually uh, kind of could be interesting. Bubble Snare, one blue mana for an enchantment aura. Kicker two and a blue. Enchant creature. When Bubble Snare enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, tap enchanted creature. Enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. A one blue mana removal spell against an aggressive deck could actually be pretty good. Kind of. They already hit you. So it's That's true. hard to play in and on curve. Mm-hmm. I I have no enthusiasm for this. Okay, so you're you're not a buyer. I'm, I don't believe in this card. Okay, I I I've given up on all the cards that say target tapped anything to be effective because That's you bad. just end up getting questing beasted or <laughs> Qu- they already or they already got you right. They already yeah. did something to you, whether it was ramp, whether it was hit you. Like this doesn't turn off Lotus Cobra. Right. Like, what are we, like, is that enough for you? That's enough for me. No, I, I feel you. I, the reason I considered it was just that it was one blue mana. So very efficient spell, but I agree. It's uh, probably not good enough for standard. Kabira takedown, one on a white. Instant. Kabira takedown deals damage equal to the number of creatures you control to target creature or planeswalker. This is an instant, and on the back it is a tapped white land. I'm also going to put this in the category of not good enough to play. Wow, I, I thought you would get behind the, if I just have an army of creatures, the best thing I can do is kill something with for two mana. <laughs> no, this is this is not as good as the green one, which you thought was unplayable and which I thought was, yeah, perhaps playable. So, yeah. Here's one that I am higher on, though, is Kazul's Fury. So read this one for us. Two and a red instant, uncommon. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature... Kazul's Fury becomes Fling. Yeah, and it has a tap land on the back. And I'll tell you what, I mean, Fling for one more mana, but with a tap land on the back, sounds like a pretty good card to me. Fling's a, yeah, Fling is a very situational card, and the tap land gives you a fail state. I think about this card kind of like the Song Mad one, same thing. Like, these are both can be game-ending, incredibly powerful effects 
under the right circumstances, and so being able to just run them as a tap land sounds pretty dope to me. Are you going to move this into the sideboard of adventure? So you, it's going to be the <laughs> the mountain in your sideboard, oh, but it's also a flame. Oh, we got there! We got there! The problem is the mountain needs to come in untapped, so you can cast your off-color escape to the wilds the same turn. <laughs> Otherwise, you didn't get them. Now, one of my favorite of these cards is Hagra Mauling. Two black black, instant at rare. The spell costs one less to cast if an opponent controls no basic lands. Destroy target creature, and it has a black tap land on the back. So, I mean, this basically just straight up removal spell tap land. Like, are you agree? do you agree with me that this seems like a good card? I'm actually not sure because... This is this one is in my opinion on the line. Okay. And what I'm looking for is the tap land cards in order to play them I need them attached to a spell that's going to be great most of the like a good amount of the time and be at a rate that's acceptable or if it's insanely overcosted like the agent of tre- like the um act of treason ish one yeah. it needs, needs to have to game ending game potential. Ending. Yeah. Yeah. And this one I think is kind of a trap. Oh, because, okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if I'm in the market, like a four mana removal spell or a tap land seems to me to be, it, it's like both of those don't seem like things I'd normally play. And the flexibility is what you want, but both of those are below rate significantly in standard and it's not particularly game ending it can be game saving but it's Mm. not game ending Mm -hmm. and i don't think that the costing less for the no basic lands is going to be an option in the format i just don't think that's going to realistically happen very almost never yeah yeah so for me this card actually is a bit of a a whiff and i think that's going to surprise some people because i think this card is going to see plenty of play but I don't know if I'm making room for this card because, like I said, we have enough of these that I don't know that this is one of the best. I don't think it is. That does surprise me coming from you because this seems like an extremely CGB-type card to me. Like, that's how I read it. I do agree that it's below rate, and it not hitting Planeswalkers is a big downtick as well. If this were, if this were sometimes a swift end... But the fail state was like a four mana swift end. I think I'd be a little bit more interested in this card. Maybe it would be too good then, but I don't even know if it would be too good. But I agree, four mana is a lot to pay for the effect. I could definitely see this coming in out of the board in more mid rangey or slower matchups. Mm, yeah, I, I, I don't. I really don't like that to be honest with you. Really, I okay. really disagree on that one. Okay, like That's coming fair. in out of the board, I would want a two mana spell that hits like everything I want to hit. Like that to me is a sideboard card. This is this doesn't seem like it. This seems like it would be a one or two main deck if you played it. I don't know. I guess we're on a different page. Well this is why I'm thinking about cards like this out of the board, right? Because okay, so the matchup you really don't want this card in is when your opponent is hot out of the gate with creatures that cost one, two, and three. I think the matchups you're more interested to play this card in is when your opponent's trying to resolve like questing beasts and these kind of heavy hitters, or like if you need to deal with your opponent's Omnath. This is 
actually a pretty good card in those matchups because apart from the Lotus Cobra, there's nothing else you're interested in killing in the early turns of the game. And so you can afford to spend the first couple of turns playing your tap lands, getting your mana developed. And then in later in the game, when your opponent's playing their Omnath, you can smack it with Hagram Walling. And the other thing is that if your opponent's playing a bunch of these regrowth effects, then it's gonna you're gonna struggle to keep up in terms of card advantage if you're not siding out a land or two and bringing in Hagra Mauling. So I don't know whether my thinking is fully sound on that, but that's the kind of matchup that I'm thinking about Hagra Mauling being pretty good in. I heard everything you said, and I kept on thinking I'd rather eat to extinction so they can't get it back. That's fair. Eat to extinction could end up being the better card in that situation. Yeah, or exile it somehow. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we're just on really different pages on this one. Okay, that's fair. Well, it's definitely, it depends on the pace of the format. It depends on how value looks. It depends on what people are trying to do. But yeah, I I um i wouldn't say i'm like super high on this card clearly i'm higher on it than you are but uh this card does excite me so i'm at least gonna try it okay um talk us through shatter skull smashing this is another card that i'm i'm actually surprisingly low on this card but i'm curious to hear your thoughts on it so read this one for us shatter skull smashing is x red red for a sorcery at mythic when this card deals x da- this card deals x damage divided as you choose among up to two target creatures and or planeswalkers if x is 6 or more shatter skull smashing deals twice x divided as you choose among them instead with a land on the back the hammer pass which which uh when you play it you may pay 3 life to play it untapped and it taps for a red and you are low on this. Would you like to kick it off? Yeah, okay. I'm not super low on it. After listening to some other podcasts and thinking about it more, I think I mostly agree that these mythic untapped land spells are probably all just good enough and that you're probably going to end up playing them. I don't think this card is as good as some people think it's going to be. I think that this effect is quite overcosted which it should be if it's going to be stapled to a land. I just think that there are certain matchups when this card is going to be very underwhelming on the face of it. I don't know, it's possible that you just, you know, in a landfall set where you just have loads of Cobras and you just have a lot of stuff going on, maybe you'll just end up having the mana to throw around. And the two-for-one possibility of this card does seem quite good, but I don't look at this and immediately register this as like a A-plus, slam it, going to play Forum in all of my red decks. Okay, I, I figured out the problem. Okay. You said other other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to opinions on other podcasts. <laughs> those don't, do don't that, have yeah. CGV. Those don't have Arjuna. And those are we are the only podcast exclusively focused on MTG Arena. That is and correct. what is the most popular deck now and forever in MTG Arena? Mono red. Mono red. And what do they play? They play spells that burn the face but don't scale. Like shock. And what does this card do? It gives you a way to kill a few creatures in the cost of a land spot that otherwise would be flooding out. So just on the existence of the mono red mirror alone, you're going to see like three to four of this card in a ton of decks 
it's going to be crafted and it's going to get played. That's because true. Like, like in the you just best want of, that two for one. In yeah. in the best of one ladder with all of these mono red matchups, I agree. This card's going to be very good. Yep, and that's. I mean, that's really all you need to hear. There's going to be other applications where you have a ton of mana, but you're just going to see this cast all the time for one or two. Just kill a thing. Clear the way in the red mirrors. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine. So, okay. I think the best case scenario for this card, I I mean, I suppose the best case scenario is you have like 10 mana and you freaking win the game. But I feel like the realistic best case scenario for this card in a lot of applications is probably going to be... Turn four, you kill two of your opponent's X and ones or X twos, and you effectively win the game on that turn. Mm-hmm. However, that that only sounds like it's going to happen to me in like, yeah, like the mono red mirror. Maybe if there's some white weenie aggressive deck, which I'm not sure about, maybe you can get your rogues opponent with this, but that seems unlikely. How about Winota? Like Boros Winota type stuff. They usually can't squeeze in removal spells because they that's need to activate point. Winota. Yeah, that's a good and point. And they probably would be willing to pay life for the ability to kill something someday Yeah, when they're getting run over. One of the problems with Winota is that you're looking at probably a three-color deck at least, and how many single-color lands can you fit into a deck like that? But, I mean, when they have a what is definitely a serviceable removal spell on the front side, then it does go up a little bit. So... I think people are going to craft this, people are going to play it. I'm not down on the card. I just think that I'm not as impressed with this card as a lot of other people might be. I've never been impressed with a mono-red card in my life, but <laughs> I still I know one when I see one. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. And, and again, mono-red is the deck which cares about the life loss the least. But again, in the mirror, it's going to matter. So that's that's another thing to think about. If you queue up on the best of one ladder and you slam this on turn one and take three and play your one drop, and then your opponent plays a mono red start, you're going to be like, okay, my opponent got a free lightning bolt. That's information. Three life is a lot to lose in an aggressive mirror. That could definitely be the difference between winning and losing the game. So that's something to think about. And that will conclude part four of our Zendikar Rising spoilers. Continue listening throughout the week. We will be releasing parts five and six before our next episode. So catch you then.